0: On every episode, we try and find out just what the hell was wrong with them and how they worked through their darkness to create something that lives on after them and continues to move culture.
1: Find us online at artofdarkpod.com and on Twitter at Kevin Couchman and at Brad Kelly.
0: Okay, welcome uh, back. To- We've got um, an interesting episode today. It's a little bit, uh, a little bit different. We're going to do a follow-up um, on an episode we've already released on the great Pamela Coleman Smith, and we've brought in somebody who actually knows what they're talking about. So, wait, uh, what? <laughs> and <laughs> it's, I'm it's talking about to me. And I'm not talking about my co-host Kevin kautzman Oh no, no, of course um, <laughs> not. This is a very special <laughs> Halloween episode. That's of yes.
1: Art of Darkness uh, yes. at artofdarkpod.com. Yeah, really excited, yes. Brad.
0: Yeah. So, um, I'm going to introduce, we have with us uh, Elizabeth Foley O'Connor, who was gracious enough to give us some time on the pre-Halloween, tomorrow's Halloween actually, but if you're an adult, tonight is Saturday, so this is when you're actually celebrating Halloween. (laughs) So, um, Elizabeth Foley O'Connor is um, the author of basically the academic biography on Pamela Coleman Smith. Um, It came out in March of this, of this year of 2021. No, is that not right? Uh Uh-oh, she's shaking her head. She's, she's keeping us on track. This is great. That's
1: fantastic. Yeah. It actually came
2: out in September. It was supposed to come out in March, Uh, but it was delayed due to COVID. It came out uh, in, uh, it came out in July in England and September in the States.
0: Okay, great, great. Um, And she is the, uh, she's associate professor of uh, English, at Washington college, as well as the director of the gender studies program. Okay. And she has, in addition to the, um, the Pamela Coleman Smith biography, which we'll, we'll have, a, we'll have links to on, um, on the show. Um, she's also a, a major contributor to, um, another amazing book that came out. Uh, I'm not sure when, when, uh, the un- Pamela Coleman Smith, the untold story came out. Um, but it was a, it's a beautiful, uh, it is my primary reference for the episode we did. It's a beautiful uh, coffee table edition with amazing images, um, a lot of biographical material, a lot of archival material. Um, if you like Pamela Coleman-Smith, and you should, that's, uh, that'd be a nice Christmas gift uh, for somebody to buy you, for sure. Um, so anything else, Elizabeth, that you want to share with you know, what you're doing right now before we dig into Pamela?
2: um no i think i mean other than teaching <laughs> uh i am um i'm happy to talk about pamela and the untold story actually came out in 2018 but it's 2018. still widely available
0: yeah yeah and it's i can't stress enough it's a the work you did in it is amazing and the overall package is is just a i'm really happy to have it i've bought a bunch of books to do this show and i'm kind of like giving some of them away and things and that <laughs> one is that one's staying so Um, Yeah. So, so thank you for that. And thank you for the for the uh, for the new book as well. Um, How did you, um, I guess, we'll talk about our episode a little bit, but I'm just curious, how Mm -hmm. did you come across Pamela Coleman Smith? How did you decide this was something you were excited about, you know, studying? What's the what's the origin story for you? (laughs)
2: Um, Everybody always asks that and they assume that I came to Pamela (laughs) through the tarot deck. Um, Mm -hmm. And I will say that I first Uh, heard of Pamela and saw the, I will call it the Smith Waite deck when I was um, studying Amsterdam in the 90s. And I had a roommate that was very into the cards and was constantly wanting to do readings. And um, I was struck even then about how gorgeous um, the the cards were and about, uh, especially the gender fluid uh, Mm -hmm. figures that I was not, prepared for, but I was not a tarot practitioner. I was, you know, it was just kind of a passing thing. I was, I went on to become a journalist and then I went to grad school and it really wasn't until I was finishing up my dissertation, which was on something totally different than Pamela Coleman Smith and thinking about how to extend it. Uh, it was on, a novels in the 20s and 30s uh that depict women the city in irish and caribbean authors and i started googling and i uh random well eventually found um pamela's um anansi stories mm-hmm. and i became obsessed with them and i was and over the that was in 2011 um in november actually and slowly. Um, over the next decade or so I became more and more just fascinated and I initially presented at a conference on her Anansi stories and then I found out that she in 1905 went back to uh, and self-published on her Green Sheaf Press uh, Chim Chim and other stories where she revised um, some of the stories not all of them um, and became you know did a little digging and found out how she was connected to, uh, so many figures of important figures of the, um, the late 19th and early 20th century. Um, and yeah, it really went off from there.
0: Yeah. That's, that, that's makes sense to me. I, I, I mean, <clears throat> I came to her through the tarot, but once I started sort of digging into her life, he sort of realized that, that there's so many, uh, there's so many connections. She's sort of a mm-hmm. node to all of these different things. It's pretty, it's pretty amazing that, um, and, and you're doing a great job of contributing to, to, to make sure that she doesn't end up getting kind of forgotten to history.
1: Well, this is, this is the thing about this Pamela Coleman Smith episode we did is that her erasure from that yeah. deck is one of the probably greatest crimes of art. It felt like that uh, to me, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and uh, yeah, what is, what is that all about?
2: Well, I mean, in some ways, um, and i mean I, I I think there's two answers to that question the There's a specific Pamela Coleman Smith answer that I will want to give, but I think the general answer is that there's a lot of women um, and people of color that were the, whose contributions were overlooked or minimized or erased for a, any number of reasons um, I mean specifically in uh Pamela's case in regards to the deck, right? Um it's named for e. wait the mystic, uh who asked her to do the designs, and then Ryder who was publisher. Um and you talk a little bit about this in your first podcast. So I don't know how much you want me to go over, but I guess the short version is that um you know the the famous account that Uh, A.E. Wake gives about having to spoon feed her all this information minimizes her contributions. (laughs) And there's this great quote, right, that she wrote in a letter to to Steglitz who put on her three exhibitions in New York that it was a big job for very little cash. And it's true, it was a big job, and she wasn't paid very much for it, but yeah. I do think that underemphasizes the importance, uh, long-standing importance, I think the cards had for her, and that iconography played into her art, and that she continued to refer to tarot iconography, even in her Bible and her hymnal that she had when she died. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that I did find in doing research for this book is that um, she started doing designs that weren't exactly the tarot designs, but that were very similar and include like uh, a lot of symbolism that kind of prefigured the tarot designs in as early as 1907. Yeah. And so it, this was almost definitely, this was something that she was interested in before Wait approached her, it appears. And yeah. um, you know, we don't know a lot about her involvement with the, the Order of the Golden Dawn. We know that she didn't get beyond the first level, the zealot level. And, um, you know, Waite kind of very dismissively says that she was only there for the spectacle, that she had to be spoon-fried, that she didn't, Mm -hmm. you know, she wasn't into the kind of arcane mysticism that he was. But we don't know that. (laughs) And we don't know what she was or wasn't interested in. Maybe she just didn't want to advance you know but still had a kind of private practice
0: well i don't know a ton about weight but i mean i've read a little bit about him and i've read his his <laughs> companion writing to mm-hmm. that deck the pictorial key to the tarot and there's a <laughs> ego that kind mm-hmm. of radiates just from that text there's some sort of for like- sure and there's there's aspects where he's talking about the symbolism and he sort of says that's reserved for, you know, for mm-hmm. for people who are more. In the, and to me, the way they fit in the page, I think he came to that and said, I don't know what that means. <laughs> and so <laughs> and so just said, well, if you if you knew as much as you have to know as much as I do before you can understand the deep mystery of, you know, but it reads like he doesn't actually get it. Um, <laughs> I could be wrong, but well,
2: I, I think I, I think that's really funny, and yeah. and but I and I think that's a, a somewhat fair interpretation. I think that with any kind of occult or any kind of group where there's different grades and there's different yeah. material that's secret, there is. A benefit right, to keeping mm-hmm. certain things separate, maybe sure. who knows why, right. and maybe some of it might just be you know this idea that things are separate. Um, part of it with with Pamela is that other mind that he references in that passage, and it it's unclear who the other mind is, probably it's W. B. Gates, okay. and there was a lot of conflict in the golden dawn i think it would take too much time to go into all of the conflict but it's split mm-hmm. uh, um the short version is that crowley destabilized things and
1: you can't mention crowley without you gotta do beat, the beat, beat time music i'm sorry we had to, ah. i
2: like it yeah. that's we, great ah. <laughs>
1: Yeah um boy yeah I was going to say I and I'm so sorry to interrupt but uh, the uh there's so much flimflamery and and yeah. just you know BS and sort of hiding their secrets and blah 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 anyway I I, I knocked you yeah. off but yes there there's was a a bunch whole, of, mm-hmm. there's
0: there's a whole theatrical component to it and then uh-huh. it gets hierarchical and then you've got uh-huh. egos involved and it becomes like you know there's nuggets of there's nuggets of wisdom in there and Mm -hmm. there's B.S. and it's almost impossible for the common person to to untie those knots and figure out what's what that's. Yeah, no. And
2: I would agree. And we don't have there's no archive right where the secret papers of the Order of the Golden Dawn have been fully kept. I mean, there's been a few things that have been released, but um, Waite and Yates went into when when the split happened. Yates and Waite went into different groups. It split off and formed different other groups that were connected. And um, Pamela went with Waite, but she still, um, she had an early close uh, mentorship and friendship with Yates. And it's not that that just ended right away.
1: That's no small thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. Yates is a big deal, obviously. And uh, yeah. we're going to do all these episodes about Yates. and about yes. oh, cool. Yeah, we'll do, an, uh, we'll do a Crowley oh, episode I'm, I'm, We're just saving up here. our power <laughs> cool. for, the, for the Crowley episode. Yeah, that's right. Do you say that's Crowley right. or do you say Crowley, Elizabeth? I
2: think it's supposed to be Crowley. Crowley.
1: Okay. I think, right. but I don't know. That's okay. Um, yeah. Uh, and, and so in that split, well, so first, I have two things real quick. Uh, I just love this this period and all of this mm-hmm. history and this this business is so fascinating. Um is it fair to say that it was a case of them sort of dismissing her as like a hired hand? Like we hired you to do this work, but you're not going to receive the credit for it. Is that kind of a, a succinct way of putting it? Or like is when it more- you
0: hire a typist or something.
2: I mean, he calls her the droughtsman.
0: Right. right? Right.
2: And um or droughts per drought, droughtsman, droughts person. I think it's Droughtsman, actually. Yeah, yeah. Um in the book, actually, I found uh in Pamela Coleman Smith's visitors book, there's a great picture that somebody drew. Um, and it's not credited, uh, but it's of uh Pamela and Wade together. Uh, supposedly working on the cards, Pamela has like a magician's hat on, and there's a little demon that <laughs> is like on the d- on the desk with them. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. it seems that drawing, and I wish I knew who did it, um, makes it seem much more of a collaboration. But who knows?
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's- they
2: obviously had to have had chats about it. Um, he gave her, you know, one of the things that he even um, makes clear in that passage that you quoted um, is that he, he was much more focused on the major arcana and she mm-hmm. pretty much did. She, it seems like she had free reign to do what she wanted with the minor arcana.
0: Right. And so she, she borrowed some of that from the Solobuska deck, mm-hmm. which is the only other deck with minor arcana um, figurative, figurative art. But it, I think it—it it seems to me, not having studied the Solobuska, it seems to me that it was a degree of invention on her part yeah. as well. So for
2: sure, yeah. um, and I mean, there's some similarities with the Solobuska, to be sure, but there's a lot of different um, things that she just kind of went off in her own direction. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So that's uh, that's. I mean, that's one of the things that's kind of exciting about it. In in there is this amazing thing. So like you had a roommate in, you had a roommate who was, was throwing tarot and saw those cards and the, 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 some of the key cards, like the hanged man or the hermit, the the stuff that is the most uh, appealing to a general audience. Some of that is like the most viewed, some of the most viewed art, Period. Mm-hmm. Really? No, for sure. We we thought we were. Um, t- Kevin and I were talking last night, and we, I think Kevin, you found out that that deck has sold a hundred million copies, approximately. Yeah, over a hundred million
1: copies. Yeah,
0: right. So, oh, that's
1: something
2: Stuart always talked about. For sure. Unreal. Yeah. yeah. Un,
0: un, unreal. Yeah. So, yeah. So just the, the 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 how deep into culture this stuff actually is, and then her name doesn't even get on it. It's it is. It's hard for me it to is, get it. Is, it's it's criminal. Cr- 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 yeah. Cr- yeah. 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 Um, so let's talk, I mean, let's talk about Pamela a little bit. I was reading through your book, and and um, the one thing I like that you you dipped into that we didn't dip into too much in the episode was um, her relationship to Swedenborgianism. Did you say Swedenborgianism? I think so. Yeah, okay. Swedenborgianism. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Not a hundred percent sure. It feels like God an extra you. syllable. It feels like there's an extra syllable <laughs> in there.
1: <laughs> that, that is a very unruly uh, set of phenomes or whatever it is. Yeah. Is that the right? Yeah. Phonemes, yeah. Phonemes. Phonemes. You know, Phonemes. That, <laughs> yeah. yeah, potato, potato. <laughs> Swedenborg, Swedenborg. It's like, it's a Swedish, <laughs> Swedish chef here. Right. All right. Okay. Right. All right.
0: All right. Yeah. But so in, I think in our, our show, we kind of presented it in passing, but as I'm, I'm reading through through the biography. Now, it seems like not only was her family even more involved in that Mm -hmm. movement than I understood, she seems to have been even more influenced by it than than I understood. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Swedenborgianism?
2: (laughs) No, and I do think her early exposure to Swedenborgianism was very important, was setting her up from a very early age to be interested in the spiritual. um, And one of the things that is um, maybe sets Swedenborgianism apart from other forms of Christianity um, is that it does have this close connection with the afterlife. Hmm. Hold on for a second. I'm going to cough
0: She's... <laughs>
1: Oh, she's a, let's vamp here. We'll do yeah, okay. Something so, under the table here, we'll have. Yeah, to I'm cover. sorry. No, that's okay. That's okay. <laughs> that, that's so funny. Remember the, the theater of the mind. This yeah. Is, <laughs> this is a radio. We're all in a room
0: together talking that's about right. Pamela Coleman Smith. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, there's a primacy on, on the afterlife, and yeah. And
2: there there's a focus on the afterlife and close connection with those have departed, and um, and I think that really set her up to be interested in spirits and ghosts. Mm -hmm. And she also spent time as a young uh, adolescent in Jamaica and was exposed at an early age to Obeah, which I think connected with that. But her uh, maternal, uh grandparents were the first people in the united states to publish the works of uh blake and also swedenborg oh, wow. um okay. and blake i think is a key link here because mm-hmm. blake was also a, a swedenborgian is, is right. a su- sweet Swedenborgianist, now i can't even say it myself uh <laughs> and he you know famously right had uh different saints and people would come and have tea with him um and not that pamela had anything like that but that visionary connection Mm -hmm. with the other world is something that pamela was very interested in she was also very interested in blake and um Appears to have come to him only when she came back to England in 1900. Um, at one point, she really wanted to do an edition of Blake's uh, work and wanted uh, W.B. Yeats to do the preface for it. It doesn't appear that that ever occurred, but she did uh, reprint some poems by Blake in uh, her Green Sheaf, which was one of her little magazines.
0: Yeah, you can see that. You can see that influence pretty strongly in the Green Sheaf and and those mm-hmm. other. The, not, not only the the pairing of the text and the images and the style of the images and the, but the sort of DIY quality of some mm-hmm. of this stuff, which I think Blake was somewhat engaged with as well, so yeah yeah, yeah.
2: I think um, artistically, a lot of his uh, illustrations for uh, poems of innocence and experience um, mm-hmm. are are there too
0: yeah um, yeah. I mean, yes. there's a
2: whole nexus of, of uh, artistic influences, right. I think. Right.
0: And I didn't quite understand until reading through your book either the, the, how influential Swedenborg was on some very influential people mm-hmm. in American culture. I mean, I wrote yeah. down like some of the names that popped up. You've got Emerson and Thoreau mm-hmm. and uh, who else is in there? Whitman.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: owls, like a whole bunch of these people of that era who sort of defined this unruly American literature of that time.
2: I mean, Swedenborgianism kind of has fallen away, but it was very much a part of the American spiritualist uh, movement after the Civil War, right? And um, a lot of those thinkers that you just met or just mentioned were Mm. influenced by him to, to various degrees
0: right and less so in uh europe than in america right was the swedenborg influence
2: and so the swedenborg was in europe too okay. uh, but pro- i mean of the of this late 19th century so the it was american spiritualism was swedenborgianism was key and it was very popular right. um, um you know both of pamela's uh parents were from these prominent Brooklyn families and Swedenborgianism was kind of huge in New York, Uh, in the 1890s. It was also, um, quite, uh, there's a large Swedenborg community in Manchester, which is actually where she grew up mostly in England. Um, you guys, uh, rightly said that she was born in Pimlico, actually right near, uh, Victoria station. Uh, but, um, then when she was two, they moved to Manchester uh, okay. as part of her father's job for a mercantile company.
1: If yeah. we had to define Swedenborgianism, uh, my, <laughs> what I know about it is that it's sort of a ultra-Protestant, uh, mystic mm-hmm. version of Christianity, mm-hmm. and Swedenborg claimed to have visited visions. heaven yeah. Yeah. in his visions and is that a fair summary i think we're the three of us it's a little inside baseball i think we all know but it's like for people who don't what yeah. what on earth is this yeah yeah um yeah, no that's
2: ahead. exactly right i'm just gonna try to mm-hmm. yeah i was yeah. just gonna try to find the spot in the book where i define it but okay I'm yeah sorry.
0: No, go ahead. You... We're, no 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 do it we're very yeah. good at covering yeah for each so other. i that's, think that's there's also i think there's also a thing too where it's it's a it's got a strain of individualism to it the, very much like you know because the idea is this guy swedenborg well he sat down and he had a vision you know there's like this way in which it's it's you talked about kevin like an ultra protestantism right it's like everybody can have these these Quite divine like literally a
1: direct ex, uh, experience right, of the right. not
0: just not not only can you read the bible yourself but mm-hmm. like you can actually like you can commune be with be the like divine. enoch
1: can go visit uh, the angels yeah. and all the rest of it yeah. yeah i could see that having an appeal uh, yeah. to a, certainly that period in history sure. uh, i love how all these things start to uh, connect You've got Mm -hmm. Yates, you've got Crowley. We're not that far away from Virginia Wolf. You're talking about Victoria Station. Well, the the protagonist in uh, The uh, uh, the Importance of Being Earnest was left in a uh, uh, the, the baggage room in, in, uh, in the cloakroom at Victoria Station. The line is immaterial. <laughs> right. that, is, that is my favorite, funniest line in all of theater. I love That's that. It's a great one. I, I love it. Uh, it yes, I, Elizabeth, it seems you, you may have found the passage. Did you find I- it?
2: I did, okay. and it's, um, so the revelation given through Swedenborg was to teach people born at the end of the Christian church how to see through or beyond the literal understanding of the Bible to the deeper spiritual meaning. Mm, right. Swedenborg wanted the faithful to connect directly with angelic beings through the use of their reason. A defining element in his writing was a belief in a spirit world that directly affected human life and the possibility of communicating with this world. Through paranormal
1: means. Wow.
0: wow. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I might, maybe I'm a Swedenborgian. I don't know. I uh, we gotta, we gotta do a little uh, more reading. Uh, but, um, uh, uh, so uh, I don't I want have, to. It's
1: gonna have something to do with what's in your vape pen there,
0: Brad. <laughs> I don't uh, want
1: to. Elizabeth, may I ask you, have you, I uh, know, uh, uh, I want to ask him, have you seen this documentary, American Mystic? If not, if not. I think you would appreciate it. It's a very mm-hmm. fine documentary and it, it weaves the thread. Uh, between three mystics. One is a Lakota, a young Lakota man out in Mm -hmm. South Dakota who's preparing to do the Sundance. Another is a neo-pagan witch out in California. And the third is a, uh, a young black man from upstate New York who is involved in laying of hands and the, spirit, okay. the spiritism and everything. I just think you would appreciate it. Listeners yeah. might appreciate it. The, the little side trick of this, this documentary is that it's making a case that film, too, is a kind of mystic expression. And I think it's a wonderful film. And it makes me think of that, um, yeah. for what it's worth. yeah. And that, uh, your summary of Swedenborg there was really right on. so kind of this direct you're talking about like the end of the church we don't need these priests as intermediaries it's we're going to figure out how to have this direct connection experience yeah yeah yeah. Yeah. fascinating
0: yeah so yeah we didn't mean to i didn't mean to make this an episode all about this subject but it was interesting (laughs) to me so um uh a couple other things i'm sort of thinking about as as i'm processing your book and thinking back to our episode one thing you touched on a a handful of her her influences um Howard Pyle uh and I had never encountered that name before um can you tell us a little bit about Howard Pyle who he was and what he did
2: sure and so there's actually a Swedenborg link there too oh really so yeah so as a (laughs) one of the ways that I found a little bit more about this direct connection the influence of Swedenborgianism on Pamela was actually reading a series of letters that she wrote to her cousin Mary Bo- Bar- Bobby Reed when she was living in Jamaica primarily they kind of span some of them are when she was in England but um there was Harold Pyle was a very influential and well-known um American artist uh in the um late 19th century he had a um a a famous school um uh, in Delaware uh he taught at Drexel for a little bit but then he mostly operated uh out of his home in Wilmington um Pamela actually applied to uh uh take classes at the school and she was rejected uh, there's a couple like glancing references to it in the letters don't it, it appears that he didn't feel that she was technically proficient enough but it's it is somewhat unclear um she was also friends with his sister because she knows everybody but um he was very interested he did a lot of um illustrations uh sometimes he's known as the father of american illustration he did uh focused a lot on colonial revolutionary subjects but also pirates which she was fascinated in as a young person and um other things as well but he was very influential in, um, in getting young artists and connecting them with magazines mm-hmm. and did not look down on magazine illustration like a lot of fine artists did at the time. Right. Um, and kind of um, in that way, he was uh, opposed. He was very different than the other major uh, uh, artistic influence on her, which is Arthur Wesley Dow, her instructor at Pratt.
0: Yeah. And so he was a, a more sort of in the fine, Dao was a little bit more leaning yeah. towards the fine arts. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Interesting.
2: And through Dao, she became aware of a lot of Japanese principles of art. Uh, Dao was uh, connected with uh, Philanosa at okay. the, uh, and uh, he taught his, he focused a lot on uh, notan, um, areas of shading, um, you may have noticed that she did in a lot of her art from the 1890s, especially, but even some of the tarot images, she does a lot of outlining of black yeah, and um, that's a technique that she got through Dao, but also through Japanese prints.
0: I see. Uh, Yeah. 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 So this is one kind of other thing. You mentioned that it's possible she got rejected from, from, um, mm-hmm from uh, Pyle's school because she didn't quite have the technical proficiency. I ran across this quote in your book that I thought maybe you could help us understand what he was saying. Mm-hmm. Um, this is James Whistler talking about Pamela. He says she can't paint and she can't draw but she doesn't have to. What do you think what do you think he was getting <laughs> after with that?
2: Um, I mean, it's, it's it gets at actually in some ways the largest um, body of criticism or in sometimes it's actually praise but in some ways it's the different side of the same coin in regards to pamela that she's so naive and unique and original and quaint and wonderful that she doesn't need to have the same technical proficiency that other people have right
0: it's almost like she's a savant or something mm-hmm. like she's yeah she's not really all there but yeah, yeah she can write.
2: and it speaks to an indefinable character uh uh char- something about her personality for sure but i think part of it though is also because all of these people um tended to look down on her because she didn't fit into easily classifiable boxes especially in regards to her race uh her gender expression and also her class
0: right 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 and so then then yeah so it's it's they she makes she doesn't make sense to them mm-hmm. she doesn't fit into their spreadsheet so they kind of just assume she's like uh yeah it, it's easier for them to deal with the fact that maybe she's communing directly with spirits <laughs> or something rather than like she's actually a really talented artist who works super hard yeah yeah interesting mm-hmm. yeah. and why can't like- you mm-hmm.
2: be
1: both of those things right I'm well sorry. yeah
0: right And yeah, no, you're absolutely right absolutely yeah, yeah. yeah. Well,
1: we all we got to break out of their spreadsheets. Yeah, that's for sure. If you had to define her class in in this world, what would what do you think that was <laughs> like? That's very difficult, I, I think. But
2: so yeah. it is. I mean, um, so you do talk a little bit about this in your first podcast. I don't know how much you want me to go over again but so um on both sides her mother on her her um mother and her father were descended from very wealthy and influential brooklyn-based families um her f- gran- paternal grandfather was the first elected mayor of brooklyn he was a state senator from new york he owned ferries and trains and hospitals and all kinds of things and on her mother's side um they were publishers and they owned a very influential bookstore in lower Manhattan. Um, But uh, Charles Edward Smith, which was Pamela's father was the youngest of uh, Cyrus Smith's children. Um, He didn't, he wanted to be an artist. Um, He didn't follow into the family business and he, um, we don't really know a lot about, why they went to England and exactly when. Uh, we know that Pamela was born there, but they were married in New York and did uh Corinne and Charles did live in New York um on 18th Street for some time due to census records. Um and you know there is definitely some mystery about her not so much about her birth but um about what her race is was she adopted was there something else going on
0: um yeah i think in the biography and i hadn't heard read this anyplace else i think you mentioned that pamela's mother had made some solo trips to jamaica right it
2: appears that but again um but again there's a lot of smiths but it does appear that she did um a, a curious thing i will say is that Pamela was born on February 16th, 1878, and her birth was only registered on March 18th, Um, which even for then is evidently a bit of a, a bit of a strat, like a bit of a distance. Yeah. yeah,
0: But there was a,
2: there was a birth announcement that was published in a paper in London, um, like two days after. So.
0: Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Huh. And um,
2: she did take a lot of transatlantic journeys, including one when she was three months old. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And so that also would be kind of unusual. But did they just travel back to New York to see family?
0: Yeah. Yeah. The amount of travel. She she traveled more than like most Mm -hmm. modern people travel now.
2: Oh, yeah. For sure. Yeah. She definitely travels more than I have in the last two yeah. years. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> yeah. but yeah, well, to she, answer your yeah. question about her class, because I kind of went off in a tangent yeah. and I oh. didn't fully, is that, so she was born into this definitely wealthy families uh, historically. Um, she appears to have had relative privilege while she was living in England. There was some financial dealings that, I'm not going to go into unless you really want me to there. Mm -hmm. It's in the book, but she, they had to leave England relatively quickly, literally in the middle of the night because of some financial problems with the company that Charles was working for. They come Mm -hmm. back to Brooklyn, um, spend a couple months there and then leave uh, early the next year when she was 11 to go to Jamaica where he was an auditor for the West India improvement company. Um, And so again, you know, probably had relative privilege living in Jamaica. We don't yeah. know a whole lot. We know she, some of those letters I referenced, you know, talk about how, you know, she had a little pony and she drove around <laughs> the islands. And we know that she did travel around the islands and collect uh, anansi tales and stuff like that. But um, after her parents died, both of them were dead uh, by the end of 1899, um, before she was, um, before, I guess she would have been 20. Um, she did struggle, uh, financially for most of her life. Mm. And, um, for many periods of her life, especially after she left London and moved to Cornwall, she had dire poverty. There's Mm -hmm. letters where she talks about having to kill her last chicken and she doesn't know what she's going to do. And she's like begging people to, uh, buy a picture or sell things or you know she's she really struggled financially for for quite a bit
0: wow wow yeah yeah huh so yeah that's that is interesting there's 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 something about her she not only did people struggle to people seem to struggle to identify her like we've talked about but she Mm -hmm. certainly was she was certainly willing to let her identity kind of. Wa- I don't want to say she struggled with it, but she she was letting li- willing to let it wander a bit. I mm-hmm. think, yeah, and that's kind well, of one of the interesting things about her.
2: What do you mean wander? Well, um, she,
0: she's like a she would um, she would go as deep into Jamaican culture, not to identify as Jamaican, but but to really deeply understand that culture. Mm-hmm. Right, and so she was. She t- she went beyond being an outsider or a visitor in that culture, and then she kind of drifted off to England and very much became. Um, I before I started reading this, I always thought she was English. Before mm-hmm. I really started reading, I just kind of assumed she must be, and then to learn these American roots yeah. was really fascinating to me. So, so just that she's sort of a citizen of everything, right? <laughs> yeah,
1: that connection yeah. between Jamaica and London. And the mm-hmm. uk is something that most americans are oblivious to until mm-hmm. you move over there and spend any time there yeah. uh, and yeah. if you spend the spend time in the south of london there's a, an enormous uh, caribbean population uh, right. many of whom have never seen jamaica mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so yeah. You're, yeah yeah
2: mm-hmm. and most of them immigrated um you know after the wind rush in 1956 but um But your point is a good one in the sense that there was a lot of English living in Jamaica. Jamaica, Um, And she talks about them in her uh, letters, you know, interacting with different families and um, governor and the consul and stuff like that.
0: Yeah. So, Elizabeth, what is your, if you had to pick a, a project of Pamela's that is either your favorite or you think is maybe the most indicative of what she was like, what, what would uh. you focus on? Or what would you, what would you tell us is like, this is Pamela Coleman Smith as a project of hers.
2: So that's really hard because I yeah. think to some degree, um, just as you were talking about how she immerses herself in a different identities, I think yeah. she immersed herself in so many different things. I mean, maybe I'll get, I'll point to the green sheaf because we haven't talked about that yet, mm-hmm. and I already mentioned a Nazi a little bit. And yeah. the green sheaf is really interesting because it allowed her to bring together a lot of disparate interests. There's, um, and she. Was able to connect uh, a lot of members of the Irish Literary literary Revival. um, You know, W.B. Yeats and Lady Gregory and John Millington Singh um, have stories and drawings in there, and she illustrated a lot of things for them. Um, There's some mystical stuff um, that's in there as well um, with A.E. and some other less well known members. There's um, contributions by Lyceum. uh theater people and edward gordon craig which was ellen terry's son who is a well-respected theater designer and theater uh theorist in his own right um and actually and then there's a whole bunch of stuff stuff about pirates because of course she was (laughs) very interested in
0: pirates
2: (laughs) uh but interesting one of the things that she does not focus on in the green chief is um anansi and there's no folktales of anansi in there hmm. and um it is i've never been able to find anything uh any let you know mention a letter or anything as to why hmm. um and she's not generally one to kind of um segment off different parts of her uh output one never- thing that is to me is you know, heard Anansi tells the first collection she publishes in 1899, and she illustrates a uh, volume of folklore by Seamus McManus in ch- ch- Chimney Corners in the same year. Um, and there's a, actually a fair bit of overlap between some of the drawings that she does. Oh, really? Not that she's like copying things, but like she definitely saw some connections I think okay. between a the trickster spider figure and the giant that shows up several okay. times in um, uh, the Seamus McManus volume. And she's so interested in connections between mm-hmm. different things. Um The the last piece of the green sheet that I think is indicative of her is there's a large number of contributions by uh, seemingly unknown or maybe pseudonymous. Oh, I can't talk tonight. <laughs> Pseudonymous. Is that it? Yes,
0: that's it.
1: <laughs> now I can yeah, no, uh, I Sorry. That, uh, the, the human torch was denied a bank loan. Is that what? <laughs> is, is that, that is, your? That ideas? is. That is. That is the funny warm-up from Anchorman. Oh, yeah. Oh, nice. yes. You're right. <laughs> no, you're exactly right. Um, you, but she has a lot. Of, yeah.
2: <laughs> she has a lot of uh, contributions by women writers. Um, And they're all over the place, some of them are critiques, obvious critiques uh, on kind of patriarchal uh, points of view. She herself has this great poem called Alone, which like from a verse standpoint is relatively simple, but when it's paired with the illustration of a very pregnant woman, um, Mm -hmm. And talks about how this woman is alone wherever she goes. She's not going to have anybody to, um, you know, call her, give her home or find, you know, give her, have any kind of family or connection with. And not that the verse itself uh, mentions the pregnancy, but the uh, drawing very much does. Interesting.
0: Interesting. Yeah, Interesting. Yeah, the green sheaf was definitely something that was, uh, I was very curious about reading, reading the multiple works on her. I, I love this DIY, mm-hmm. this make the thing attitude yeah. that she had. I really, really appreciated it. And it made me wonder, how much of the green sheaf, how much of that material still is in an archive someplace? Mm-hmm. Is, some of it, is some of it lost? Like, what's the status of all that?
2: No, actually, the full run of The Green sheath is available in okay. several, several archives, and even better than that, I mean, a lot of it is reproduced in the uh, uh, Pamela Coleman Smith, The Untold Story. Not all of it, but a fair bit of it. But it's actually been digitized, and you can oh, Google okay. it. And the full run has been digitized.
0: Oh, cool. Very yeah, good. part yeah. of the
2: Yellow 90s project.
0: Yeah. How do you think she would have felt about digitizing things? Hmm. I mean, we got to do it for posterity, but I wonder like, what that would feel like to her. So
2: she was very focused on the beautiful handmade object, right? right. And I will say that the first time that I saw the Green Chief, um, I actually requested it. Uh, from Dartmouth at the time, the full run was only available at two university libraries in the states, a couple in england this 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 has since changed, thankfully, okay. but uh when I requested it from Dartmouth um they didn't even know they had it it was it wasn't it was kept like in a locker somewhere, and wow. the librarian was like, sure, you can have it sent to your institution. And then she gets it a couple of days later and calls me back. And she's like, oh, look at all these people in here. <laughs> but they did, thankfully, they... They sent it and it wasn't like to my home. They sent it to my library archive and I, you know, had to use gloves to handle it. But it, the paper is all handmade paper. It's gorgeous. The paper itself is. Yes. The paper is beautiful. It was called Japan paper, but it just meant that it was like thicker. And it's, it really has, I mean, if you've seen like, Anything, even the things from the 40s and 50s sometimes that made on that cheap pulp paper is all yellow and like crumply. Um, And I have definitely looked at things in archives from even the late 19th century that are literally falling apart. But um, the Green Chief is gorgeous. It was all hand colored. So it was printed. Mm -hmm. um, And then she went and hand colored every single thing. Wow. which took forever
0: <laughs> Oh sure yeah then that, that eats into your profits too right i mean oh yeah 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 there's, <laughs> it's hard to make money doing something like that but yeah that mm-hmm. does seem like that does seem like a really that that felt like a project that seemed like mm-hmm. she was really doing something she wanted to do and for and, sure and, and and also it's indicative of the way she like i we sort of talked about the where she's the center, maybe not the center, but she's sort of a center of the cultural movement that she's in. And so it's all kind of getting condensed into these green sheaf things with all these different figures contributing and all the different sort of modes, right? The illustrations and the poetry and mm-hmm. the criticism. Yeah, it's a very, it's a very cool project, I, you know.
2: And I, I really liked how you said that she is the center because I do like to think of Pamela as the center of bringing together lots of different communities um, of arts. That were often seen as super disparate, mm-hmm. um, even by modernist scholars. Um, and you know, for so long, Pamela has been relegated to being a footnote in mm-hmm. the stories of much more famous people, generally men, but not mm-hmm. not entirely. Mm-hmm. Um, but she is a node uh, and an important connection point in her own right. I feel. Yeah. Um, and I think she- that's.
0: I think that's. You spend enough time with her biography and her work, <laughs> that becomes ob- that becomes pretty clear. I, I think. Yeah. Um, absolutely yeah so um, I don't want to spend a ton more time um, before we go into our After Dark episode um, but yeah, I'm to couple- tease
1: the After Dark episode so That's I know right. there were, we're some saving, things that we yeah. wanna yeah we're going to have some what what precisely was it we were going to talk about we well, can't uh, say it precisely well no but not precisely <laughs> what how, what are we teasing it
2: has a spooky connection
1: it's going to be a very spooky spooky special uh, and has um a, mm-hmm.
2: something that is very well known as a uh, a classic of horror.
0: Oh, that's oh right. that's okay. Right. Interesting, perfect right. for perfect for Halloween. So this yes. is uh
1: this is exclusive to Patreon subscribers, art of You can go to patreon.com slash art of dark pod. We yeah. even have new merch. We did a new logo. We have a mug. Yeah. It's yeah. a well-made object from yeah. bonfire. <laughs> that's a right. From, Maybe yeah, not the same never a seen. beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Somebody will ship it to you. <laughs> uh, boy. But uh, yeah, no, this is, this is really exciting. Yeah. And I'm very enthusiastic about this episode because Elizabeth had just it's nice to have somebody who's a real, true, deep expert on yes. one of our subjects who I, I find, uh, having just spent this much time with and around Pamela uh, and, her, and her work, I find almost like a, um, oh, I don't mean to sound patronizing here, but I, I have a bit of a grudge on her behalf.
0: Yeah, it yeah, is. Too. It's
1: frustrating. So it's nice to, to add to the exposure uh and hopefully we're doing that yeah Brad.
0: yeah yeah i i feel very much the same way so i came to pamela through the tarot i'm, I'm very interested in the tarot and i definitely call it the the i try to call it the smith weight deck now I, weight <laughs> does kind of deserve his name on it i suppose yeah. Ryder, I don't think, does. Nobody even knows who that guy, that joker is. And Smith certainly should be on there. Um, I got a couple things. Maybe this would be kind of our last question, because this was something that we talked about a little bit on the episode, and maybe you can give us some insight. Um, Late in her life, she made a turn to Catholicism.
1: The one true faith. <laughs> this is a theme in, yeah. in uh, yes, Art of Darkness. <laughs> Whatever it comes up. I was really
0: just uh, setting yeah. up Kevin for his tagline. Yeah, but, right. but honestly, it's interesting, right? She she starts in Swedenborgianism, and she she works her way through the the the, um, the the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn, and she's she's touching up against um, uh, you know, Jamaican folklore, and thereby the mythology and, and the religion she talked about Obeah and then she ends up in catholicism and mm-hmm. i just i'm curious what you might be able to say about that turn
2: um sure i mean i could talk a lot about it but the okay. short version <laughs> is that um it isn't it isn't a rejection of her occult interests right okay. which which um it has been read at and i think that's a mistake uh one of the things two things. Um, her Bible that she had before she died, there's, um, sketches of pentacles and cups along with drawings of Mary and Jesus and different saints. And I think this is really all a part of how she was very syncretic and she was interested in connections between different cultural frameworks rather than fully engrossing herself in one and then rejecting it entirely. Right. I do think that maybe weirdly for 21st century audiences, Catholicism um, in the early 20th century had um, was definitely drawing intellectuals and artists that were interested in mystical and spiritual connection. Right? Mm -hmm. Even Waite himself, I mean, he was obviously not a Catholic but his mother was Catholic and he was interested in some of the more mystical branches and uh like a cult not a cult but secret um teachings of the catholic church right and there was so much um interest in the early 20th century and kind of getting at the true roots of the secrets of all the faiths right and um there was definitely a kind of uh number of artists and writers in england in london especially who were interested in that and they were and they were catholic as well i mean she did convert in 1911 she almost definitely started that process um probably shortly after she finished the deck in december of 1909 or so Um, she did have several friends who were catholics um we talked a little bit about ellen terry But uh, Ellen Terry's daughter, Edie Edie Craig, who she was very close with and remained close with for most of her life, uh, her partner, Chris St. John, was a Catholic. And um, there were other Catholics among um, the uh, suffrage, women's suffrage organization that uh, Coleman Smith became a member of in 1909. Um, And so that also could have been another way in.
0: Okay, interesting yeah, interesting. yeah, so yeah, now the way you you you've laid that out, it does feel like a, a little bit more mm-hmm. of a of a a natural evolution rather than, than i i don't know some sudden uh yeah guilt or whatever um there's yeah, a There's a
2: famous passage by one of Yeats's sisters that talks about it as this kind of renunciation of her bohemian lifestyle, but yeah. it really wasn't.
0: Right. sorry. Right, right, no, they're very interesting. So yeah, you could be a cool Catholic, you could be a cool yeah, yeah. funky Catholic. It's a big right. church, yeah, it's true. I mean, it's the universal church, right? Mm-hmm. So it's, yeah, it takes all kinds. Yeah. You, uh, you also won't go to hell
1: if you practice
0: Catholicism,
1: <laughs> 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 Elizabeth. This is rejecting. She renounces. I am, of course, I am joking. It's going uh, so well. This is, is one of the running so well. themes of, of Art of Darkness. Is yeah. we every time it comes <laughs> up. Okay. Yes. Yeah. All right. Okay, Elizabeth. So, you, you were going to say something. I can tell. Yeah.
2: Oh, I was just going to say that I think another lure for Catholicism was the focus on women and Mm. mary of course but also the saints and this idea that women within the church weirdly right because of course in different in different countries in different places women have definitely been subjugated by the catholic church but this but there also right is a tradition of women back to julian of norwich right this direct like spiritual connection which i also think she i don't know for sure but i but i but I, but i think that would have also appealed to her
1: yeah marian adoration is a huge part of the catholic faith and they do a procession here in Mm -hmm. in saint paul where they they march with a a statue of the virgin mary from the Mm -hmm. Capitol over to the cathedral Mm -hmm. and it's it's quite a quite an event yeah Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. i can see that that appeal that connection Mm
0: -hmm. yeah okay so i think we'll kind of wind down now Mm -hmm. we're gonna like i said we're gonna move we're gonna move over to the patreon episode but 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 Elizabeth, what could you uh, how can people contact you if, if they would like to or don't if they if you don't want to? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess that's OK, too. We're, no, we're, you... we're used to trying to like get engagement and that's not necessarily everybody's game. But if people no. you know, want to find your, your work, I know on your website, there's, there's yeah. a lot of a lot of stuff that you've written. I imagine some of that's behind academic paywalls and things it like is. that. But um, yeah, yeah wh- wh- how can people reach out, reach out to you and find out more about you?
2: Um, I'm on Twitter. I'm Liz Folio O'Connor on Twitter. Um, you can definitely reach me there. Um, you can also email me th- through my uh, Washington College account. You can I'm um, pretty easily findable.
0: Okay. Great. I, yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. All right. Great. Yeah. We'll have some, we're gonna have some links on the show um, to, to, for people for folks finding that kind of thing. Yeah, fantastic. And
1: then we are going to pick this up and do another uh, mini episode for Patreon subscribers, uh, artofdarkpod.com. I'm Kevin Kautzman, uh, Brad Kelly, and Elizabeth, thank you so much for joining us. I want to ask you one you. question here, one more question for the main episode. Do you have
0: a favorite card from the deck? Ooh.
2: Oh, so I think it's actually the tower card.
0: <laughs> it's a good choice yeah <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> i know yeah. but i think yeah,
2: yeah I, I could talk about it
1: you think what no go on i want to hear it.
2: um well i guess the short version is that cataclysmic or big changes were are are were found throughout pamela's life right and i'm one of the things that really has constantly surprised me and learning more and more about her is how she was able to redirect and reinvent herself, and for most of her life at least, to come back from setbacks and to grow through them. And she was always, you know, one of the things she struggled so much with was publishers. She felt that publishers in New York didn't appreciate her, didn't we were shortchanging her financially, weren't appreciating her work. And that's one of the reasons why she started her own press, right? Yeah. And um,
1: Nothing yeah, has changed, just, has it, Kevin? Nothing <laughs> changes. And that is an inspiring thing. And I think yeah. that's a great place yeah. to leave this off. We'll pick this up in the uh, After Dark episode. Elizabeth O'Connor, thank you so much for joining us.
2: Thank you so much for having me. All right.